The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello everyone and welcome to a super wild card edition of Falado on Football here on Big Blue View Radio. I am the host of this podcast, Nicholas Falado, and we're about to go over the super wild card slate that we just witnessed on Saturday and Sunday. There were six games, and they were all solid games, some of them better than others. And we're going to go dive into the first game that was played, which was one of the more competitive and one of the more entertaining games on the slate, which was the Buffalo Bills hosting the Indianapolis Colts 27 to 24 is the final. The Bills prevail over the 11 and 5 Colts. Send them packing, and now the Bills will prepare to play the Baltimore Ravens next week, where the Bills will be home. So they'll be hosting that game. And I think this is interesting from a Giants perspective because I think there's a lot of parallels that people can make about Josh Allen and Daniel Jones. Now, let me be clear: Josh Allen is a much better physical specimen than Daniel Jones. He has a much bigger arm than Daniel Jones. He's much more physical than Daniel Jones. He's more athletic than Daniel Jones. But Josh Allen struggled mightily with accuracy coming out of Wyoming and in his first two years up until last year in the wild card round where he made a lot of boneheaded decisions because his decision making was never all that great up until this season. And credit to Josh Allen for working at it and getting better. Credit to Brian Dayball and Sean McDermott for really getting the most out of this incredibly gifted prospect. But one thing they did in the offseason that the Giants may do for Daniel Jones, the parallel I'm trying to make, is add a star veteran receiver. And that's what the Buffalo Bills did. The Bills added Stephon Diggs on March 20th of 2020. They traded for him. They traded their first round pick, which was the 22nd pick that ended up being Justin Jefferson. Honestly, if you ask me, the trade worked out for both teams. You get the veteran leadership and the savviness of someone like Stefan Diggs to help a younger quarterback in Josh Allen, while Justin Jefferson really showed why he's an excellent talent this whole season, paired with Adam Thielen on the Minnesota Vikings. But what Steph Diggs did for Josh Allen cannot be understated and what Josh Allen did for Steph Diggs also cannot be understated because Stephon Diggs who was an amazing receiver with Minnesota was disgruntled there he didn't like having a quarterback who is a little bit more tentative like Kirk Cousins whereas Josh Allen is much more of a gunslinger and the stats bear this out you see the like love affair between Diggs and Allen they're like best buddies it's pretty cool to watch but his best season Steph Diggs that is season in Minnesota 
He had 141 targets, caught 102 balls for 1,021 yards and 9 touchdowns. This year, in Buffalo, he has 170 targets, 133 receptions for 1,663 yards and 9 touchdowns. His best season by far. A lot of people did not predict this. A lot of people thought that Steph Diggs was going to be a disgruntled receiver with a very inaccurate quarterback, but instead, the two coexisted together. They got the most out of each other, and now we're seeing them in the divisional round, and Buffalo gets their first playoff win in 25 years. This is a pretty cool, feel-good weekend, really, because the Browns got their first playoff win when they beat the Steelers 48-37, to which we'll go over in a little bit. But the Giants... You got Kenny Galladay. You got Chris Godwin. You got Allen Robinson. All going to be free agents. Now, I think the two that really interest me, there's a bunch of free agent wide receivers. Some of them are going to get franchise tags. Some will be re-signed. Some will hit the market. The two that interest me the most is Kenny Galladay and Allen Robinson. They're both entering their latter 20s, 26, 27, so they're still relatively young. But I think both of these contested catch receivers, big play threats. Now, Allen Robinson is not necessarily a vertical threat, but Kenny Galladay is. I think each of these guys will really assist Daniel Jones from making that second to third year jump like Stefan Diggs did with Josh Allen. And I think adding them, whichever one, Galladay or Robinson, or maybe even another veteran wide receiver, to pair with Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and Evan Ingram will really complement this offense, especially if this offensive line continues to kind of build off of what they showed at the end of the season, that they were a consistent unit, that they could be good and string games together of being good to above average. So that's the hope. Now, Another course of action, which I'm not opposed to. They don't have to add a veteran per se. Drafting a wide receiver with your first or your second round pick. At pick 11, Devonta Smith, Heisman Trophy winner in 2020. He may be available. I don't think he will be, but there's a possibility. But his teammate Jalen Waddle very well could be. People are sleeping on him because he did not play all that much in 2020 due to an injury. But he is an absolute stud. And there are several receivers. There are receivers that you can get... In the second round, like Rashad Bateman, possibly. Rondell Moore, possibly. That's Minnesota and Purdue. There's a lot of talent out there. But I think Daniel Jones needs another talented weapon to maximize his skill set. And that, along with the addition of a healthy Saquon Barkley, should show a vast improvement from 2020 to 2021 regardless of who's calling the plays, even if it is Jason Garrett. So let's hope we see something like that. But let's dive into this game real quick. The Bills, 27-24 to over the Colts. And you have to ask the question for the Colts side, is this the last time we're going to see Phillip Rivers throw a football in the National Football League? It's not a crazy thought. I mean, he played well, 309 yards, two touchdowns. He's a competitor. We know this about Phillip Rivers. One of the reasons we love Phillip Rivers, but this could have been his last game. With players like Sam Darnold and Carson Wentz, who could possibly 
be on the market and could possibly end up in Indianapolis, that question has to be asked. And the Bills, you just got to give them credit too. Because this game was very, very tight. And you know everybody's senses were very, very high on the Bills' side. The Bills thought they could have had a win last year against the Texans in Houston. They blew that game. Josh Allen made a bunch of mistakes. And they didn't end up getting that win. But they end up securing it here. They end up securing this W. Despite late pushes from the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts were able to score multiple touchdowns in that second half. Put two on the board in the fourth quarter. And they also had a missed field goal from Rodrigo Blankenship, which is very rare. And then it got down to the wire. And this is a last-ditch effort on a 4th and 11 with the time winding down. Phillip Rivers tries to complete a pass, but Micah Hyde knocks it down to ensure that the Bills get the victory. The Colts were just nipping, though. They just couldn't get in a field goal range. They were almost there at the end of the game to get in a field goal range, but they were just shy of it. Good job by Buffalo. Good job by Josh Allen. Steph Diggs stepping up in this game. Steph Diggs had six catches in this game on nine targets for 128 yards and a touchdown. This is with a hobbled Cole Beasley. Gabriel Davis, four catches, 85 yards, four targets. Cole Beasley actually had seven for 57 on seven targets. Very efficient, obviously. As for the Colts, they tried to establish the run. They gave Jonathan Taylor the ball 21 times. He had 78 yards and one touchdown. But the Bills' defense, ever since they got Matt Milano back, have been playing significantly better football. And he's another impending free agent. The Bills, are, <laughs> they may have to bring him back. Because he's been playing at a very, very high level. This Bills team is clicking. And they're going to have their hands full against the Ravens next week. There's no doubt about that. That's going to be a great game. But before we get into the rest of the slate, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, 
It's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Rams travel to Seattle and secure an advancement to the divisional round to face the Green Bay Packers up in uh, good old Green Bay. That's going to be a cold game for this Los Angeles-based team. But the Rams win this game in the wild card round, 30-20, to over the Seattle Seahawks, who have just been struggling mightily towards the end of the season. They really have. It was really on display when Colt McCoy and the New York Giants went up to Lumen Field and defeated the Seattle Seahawks 17-12. to It was the really on the back of Patrick Graham's defense, but there's a similar parallel here. The Los Angeles Rams, a very good defensive team. Let's not forget, the Rams went into this game with Johnny Walford as their starting quarterback. He ends up getting hurt because he takes a hit from Jamal Adams that kind of hurt his neck and actually ended up sending him to the hospital. So Jared Goff, the normal starter for the Rams, who just had surgery 12 days before this game on his throwing thumb, had to go and play and finish this game for the Rams. And he looked pretty uninspiring, but that's what you expect from somebody who just had surgery, albeit he kind of has looked uninspiring for quite a while with Sean McVay's offense, to be honest. He finished the game 9 of 19 for 155 yards and a touchdown, was sacked twice by the Seattle pass rush. But it was really the story of the Rams' defense. They had a defensive touchdown on a screen to DK Metcalf because DK Metcalf couldn't get open whatsoever against Jalen Ramsey in the beginning of the game. So they tried to force the ball to him, used a motion, motioned him to the strength with a bunch of receivers around him and threw a screen, and it was just jumped by Darius Williams and taken for six. But if you really look at the Seattle Seahawks over the last three games, four games, even though they were winning, their offense was really bad. I mean, the last three games of the season, they averaged the second lowest yards per game they just couldn't really move the football and it really came to fruition and we saw it happen against the Rams who are a really good defense obviously but Russell Wilson had 11 completions Seattle's offense was forced to punt nine times they had a turnover on downs and that pick six to Darius Williams it's a terrible outing by this offense and you can kind of see it all of us Giants fans and Giants followers saw it and Cole McCoy beat them But this goes to show you that a really, really good defense with a good defensive mind, like Brennan Staley, like Patrick Graham, when you have a shutdown corner like James Bradbury, like Jalen Ramsey, when you have a good interior pass rusher like Aaron Donald, who is one of the best to ever do it, and then someone who is not quite Aaron Donald, but a very good interior pass rusher in his own right, Leonard Williams, then you can possibly replicate something similar to this. I look at the Giants' defense. I see their safeties. I see their entire situation. I I have concerns about their second cornerback position and their second linebacker position and, obviously, the lack of edge. And that's a big thing. Now, you look at the Rams. Have Leonard Floyd, who is an adept pass rusher. They have Ogbanya Okwaronkwo, kid from Oklahoma a couple years ago, who's solid. But they're not necessarily super strong at that area because they have a very good interior defensive line. They have Michael Brockers. They have Aaron Donald. The Giants' edge group was weak going into this. Kyler Fackrell's a solid player, but he's not going to win one-on-one matchups consistently with his pass-rushing repertoire. And then you have O'Shane Zimenez, who the Giants are hoping 
could perform now going into his third year without basically any second year, and Lorenzo Carter, who the Giants are hoping to perform going into his fourth year, and he barely had a third year. And I have I have hopes if Lorenzo Carter can come back and still be himself, if he can recover from this Achilles injury, I have hopes that he can develop into a good player because of his athletic profile, but that's not necessarily the case. So the edge position poses a lot of threat to even someone with Patrick Graham's mindset who likes to bring exotic pressure, stunts, twists, but a lack of really talented edge rushers is going to mitigate the amount of success that this defensive unit can have despite the fact that they have very good safeties. They're very good on the back end. They use their coverages really well to manipulate what a quarterback is seeing pre to post snap, but you need to add an edge. The Giants need to add a lot of things this offseason, and the edge might be at the top of that priority. As much as I like Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin, I don't know how much you can really rely on them if we're talking about making a push in the playoffs. I think they could be situational players, but they're not going to be every down type of players. And that's what the Giants are going to need at this edge spot. Second linebacker spot, I think Tay Crowder can develop and be a solid starter. He already showed a lot of attributes of doing that. He struggled versus the Ravens, but I still think there is a bright future there for the 2020 Mr. Irrelevant. And then you have the second boundary corner spot. Look at the Ravens, for instance. A team will be going over here in a little bit, and I can kind of group them in right now. They have Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, and Marcus Peters as their cornerbacks. The Giants have James Bradbury. I like Darnay Holmes, and I think he's going to be a good player in this league, but he's relegated to the nickel duty. But after that, you have Isaac Yadam and Julian Love. And I think Julian Love is going to be on this roster no matter what because he has a lot of positional versatility. And honestly, from what he showed just in Week 17, a very important game, he still doesn't seem like he missed too much. Missed a beat, really, when it comes to playing that corner outside position, which he did at Notre Dame. So I have high hopes for him, but not necessarily if we pencil him in to be the number two cornerback. I'd like that to be a three option or a four option, and then you can use him into the secondary to be a single high safety and cover one or cover three, middle of the field close type of safety, something he did all season for the Giants. Then you can use Logan Ryan in a bunch of different ways, bring Xavier McKinney down. You can roll with one linebacker, take take Crowder off the field. You won't lose too much against the run, which brought Peppers down there in the box. You can do various different things. But I'd feel more comfortable the Giants had another really solid number two and not a question mark like a Julian Love, who we just haven't seen enough. Because you look at teams like the Ravens, look what they have at those positions, and that's one of the reasons why their defense is so solid. Giants aren't quite there yet from a personnel standpoint. From a scheme standpoint, Patrick Graham can definitely help this team get to where Giants fans want them to be, and that's really just the playoffs. They were very close this year, but, (laughs) I mean, this is a six-win team. The vision was just putrid. But the Rams, you can see what they just did to Seattle, but on the flip side, Seattle's offense stunk towards the end of the year. And we saw the Rams' defense get torched by the Jets. So even one of the, I would say, a top three defense easily in this league is the Rams. Even they have bad games, down games. But they weren't down here when they had to step up. Cam Akers, 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. Really leading that Rams team because they had nothing going on at the quarterback position. And you want to know the craziest part? As bad as the Rams offense 
Well, at least a quarterback position really was. Put up 30 points. Obviously on the back of a defensive touchdown. And there was also a special teams fumble. This was complimentary football from the Rams against the Seattle Seahawks, a team that's typically really good at home in the playoffs. But it was complimentary football, special teams, offense, mainly through the running game, and defense that came through for the Los Angeles Rams. And that's something that every coach really preaches, but Joe Judge really preaches with Thomas McGahee as his special teams coordinator. We've seen special teams mistakes this year with the New York Giants, which was wild against Cincinnati. And it was almost another huge special teams era against Cincinnati that probably would have led to the Giants losing if Cam Brown didn't make a big special teams tackle with his long-ass arms. So to boil it all down and to bring the Giants into it, there are pieces that the Giants definitely need to add to their defense, but the framework is already in place. And we might see a unit that's not comparable to the Rams or the Ravens just yet, but a unit that can win football games, which we have already seen this year, against Seattle, but a unit that can win football games in spite of their offense's deficiencies. Now, hopefully next year, at a receiver, the offense isn't as deficient, the defense stays the same, gets a little bit better, and then the Giants are a real powerhouse, at least in the NFC East. (laughs) And then we can kind of take baby steps to see if they can actually make noise in the playoffs. But the Rams, good for them, man. Get this win. They controlled the clock, 33 minutes, time of possession. They were able to force turnovers, Russell Wilson, into turnovers. They were able to outgain Seattle, and the better football team won here. And the Rams are also kind of lucky here because you have the injury to Walford. You had Jared Goff playing injured. You had Cam Akers with a high ankle sprain that forced him to miss Week 16. He came back in Week 17, and then he looked like the Cam Akers we all loved at Florida State. Cooper Cup came off the COVID list, played in this game, four catches, 78 yards. Now they get the pleasure of playing Aaron Rodgers. That's a good defense, though. But these Los Angeles guys, I don't know if they're ready for this gold. So we'll see how that all kind of shakes out. Then we had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers handling their business in Washington, 31-23. to But this game was all about Taylor frickin' Heineke. This undrafted kid bounced around the league, was with Ron Rivera and Scott Turner in Carolina, and was signed in the beginning of December because of covid to be basically a practice squatter for Washington. Ended up seeing the field in week 16 a little bit. Now had to start this game because of Alex Smith and his injury to his calf. Alex Smith just wasn't ready. So Heineke comes in, throws for over 300 yards against Todd Bull's defense, a touchdown, an interception that wasn't really necessarily his fault. And he was 26 of 44, and he was throwing off platform. He was making throws through tight zones. He was making throws from the far hash to the sidelines. He was really making some big-time NFL throws for the Washington football team. He also did a lot with his legs, six carries, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Showed pretty exceptional speed. And everybody was talking about him on Twitter. And you know what? Tampa Bay got off to a fast start. But Washington crawled back into this, made it an eight-point game, and it came down to that last possession where Washington just couldn't convert. But if they did, if they found a way to score a touchdown, get that two-point conversion, then they have Tampa Bay on the ropes there. How crazy would that have been? Taylor Heineke and Tom Brady, former teammates actually, very briefly, up in New England. And Taylor Heineke actually were to prevail. 
Now, the Buccaneers, although they started slow, they didn't have Ronald Jones, who seemed like he got hurt in pregame warmups. Leonard Fournette had 19 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown in this game. Mike Evans looked fine, six catches for 119 yards after looking like he got injured in Week 17. And then they just slowed down. Todd Bowles' defense making key critical mistakes against Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke making them pay with his arm. And it was a fun Saturday night for the NFL world to watch this kid who's now probably going to earn himself a job somewhere in the NFL because this guy was finishing up his degree at Old Dominion. Shout out to O'Shane Zimenez. But he was finishing out his degree at Old Dominion in mathematics, in a mathematics course. Got the call in December and started a playoff game against Tom Brady and played pretty valiantly. Played well down the stretch. Put his team in a position to possibly win. But the football team are now out. And they're going to be picking late in the first round, whereas the Giants will be picking at 11. And that's the trade-off. I would have much rather seen... Daniel Jones and the New York Giants play in the playoffs, have a shot against this Tampa Bay team, and I think they would have had a shot. They had a shot earlier in the year and almost beat them, and that was with Daniel Jones playing the worst football I've ever seen. So that would have been really, really interesting to see. And that caps off the Saturday slate of games. But let's move quickly to the Baltimore Ravens, who traveled to the Tennessee Titans and played the Titans. Now, let's lay the framework here just a little bit. Okay, remember last year, the Titans in the divisional round traveled to the number one seed Baltimore Ravens, and the Titans spanked them. It was embarrassing. And then this year, the Ravens played the Titans, and the Titans spanked them again. And the Titans players were dancing on the Ravens logo, and it was embarrassing. For the Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh and Mike Vrabel had a interesting post-game, wasn't even a handshake, an interesting post-game interaction. It wasn't heated or anything, but it was just different, a different sign of respect, I guess you could say, after that 30-24 to loss in Baltimore. But the Ravens now, go to Tennessee, and they win this game 20-13. to And what's important about this is the Ravens stuck to their identity. All they've heard for the last year is how they lost to the Titans. Then they'll lose again. But how they lost to the Titans and how they're a team that can't play from behind. Specifically, Lamar Jackson is a quarterback who can't play from behind. And that's the narrative that they all hear. And in the first quarter, Tennessee jumps up 10 to nothing against the Ravens. And everybody's freaking out. It's like, Lamar Jackson, he's not going to be able to lead this team back and win this football game. They have Derrick Henry, the best running back in the NFL, with a lead. Bye-bye, Ravens. But that's not what happened. The Baltimore Ravens stuck to their identity, used the misdirection, showed the Titans' putrid defense, by the way, very bad defense, showed the defense multiple looks and ran different plays off of it and were able to win this game 20-13 to using Lamar Jackson's legs. Designed quarterback runs, stuff we talked about when the Giants were facing the Ravens, stuff that we had 
to ensure that the Giants and Patrick Graham were on top of. That was Lamar Jackson on these designed quarterback runs, the quarterback power specifically, where they pull the backside guard, they go into the mesh point, and Lamar Jackson hardly reads the end man on line of scrimmage because it's going to be a designed run, and he takes it right through the B-gap. Now, we saw that several times in this game. Ended up winning the game for the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar, 16 carries, 136 yards, and a touchdown. Threw for 179 yards, had an interception. But I'm proud of the Ravens. Not that I like the Ravens, I'm not a Ravens fan, but I'm proud that they stuck to their identity and were able to pull this win out despite hearing for the last year how they were basically frauds because they allowed the Tennessee Titans to punch them directly in the mouth. But you know what? The Ravens' defense stepped up. Derrick Henry had 18 carries for 40 yards. Couldn't really get anything going. A.J. Brown had a solid game, but Marcus Peters ends up intercepting the pass in the fourth quarter to seal this victory for the Baltimore Ravens and not allow the Tennessee Titans a chance to drive, score a touchdown, send this game into overtime. That's a very good win by the Baltimore Ravens. It's a feel-good win. Now we get to see the Ravens go and play the Buffalo Bills in a game that's going to be really, really entertaining. It's going to be incredibly entertaining. I'm excited to watch that, to be honest. A game that I wasn't as excited to watch, but what turned into something a little bit more exciting was this Bears-Saints game. Saints win this game 21-9, but the Bears had a game plan. And you know what? If it wasn't for some poor execution from specific Bears players they may have had a realistic shot to make the New Orleans Saints sweat a little bit here. And those players, it's not Mitchell Trubisky, somebody you probably would think I was referring to, but no. Because Matt Nagy, off of a long time out, because there's so many reviews in this entire wildcard slate, and I believe this was off of a review, he ran a misdirection type of play where he lined up Mitchell Trubisky at wide receiver, threw him a pass behind the line of scrimmage, and then Mitchell Trubisky rolled back towards the pocket, the midline of the field, and hit Javon Wims on a deep post that would have went for a long touchdown. But Wims drops it when Mitchell Trubisky put the ball right into his breadbasket. Perfect throw from Mitch, and Mitch had a bunch of throws that were really good. He finished his game 19-29 of for 199 yards and a touchdown, and he should have had two touchdowns easily. Probably around 260 yards. There were several drops in this game. There was no Darnell Mooney. Anthony Miller ended up getting kicked out for throwing a punch at Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. And that little rivalry goes back to when these two teams played in the regular season. And Chauncey Gardner-Johnson got Javon Wims suspended for a couple games because Javon Wims punched him in the face mask. Which still doesn't make any sense to me. But these drop passes killed the Bears. The Bears' defense were able to kind of shut down the Saints. It was 7-3 at halftime. Bears were putting five guys on the line of scrimmage, one linebacker forcing Drew Brees to check out of those runs and throw intermediate or to deep, taking away those little underneath routes to Alvin Kamara. And Brees ended up figuring it out because he's Drew Brees. 265 yards, 28 of 39, two touchdowns. But it took them a little bit, and the Bears were in this game. And if it wasn't for a couple drop passes couple missed assignments, missed execution, and obviously Darnell Mooney not being there hurts, Roquan Smith not being there hurts, but this game could have been more competitive. 
But at the same time, you can look at it and be like, Nick, it was 21-3 to into the last play of the game. And you would have a lot of valid points because the Bears scored a touchdown on the last pass of the game. Jimmy Graham catches it, and he just runs into the locker room right from there. I'm not trying to misconstrue anything. Bears offense is not that great. But Mitchell Trubisky actually didn't look terrible in this game. And the Saints offense against a Bears defense that's pretty solid didn't blow up for a bunch of points either. Now they missed a field goal, had a fumble, had a turnover on downs. Kind of things happen sometimes. But Bears went in there with a good game plan. Were able to keep this score very low and very attainable at halftime. And that's what Matt Nagy wanted. 7-3 at halftime is not bad. They got to execute better. Can't be dropping passes. Can't be making stupid plays. Can't be taking dumb penalties. That Cole Komet penalty, I don't really understand whatsoever because he was obviously flicking the ball back to the ref. Why they gave him an unsportsmanlike conduct didn't make any sense to me. But now the Saints will have that opportunity to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the third time in one year. Something that's very hard to do. It's very hard to beat a team three times in a year as the 2007 Dallas Cowboys. But the games that the Saints won over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been, uh, let's say, convincing, to say the least. Now, the first one was week one. There was no offseason. Tom Brady's first game not being a New England Patriot. Saints win 34-23. to The game was basically in control of the Saints most of the time. That one's not as egregious as the 38-3 to primetime win the Saints slapped on the Buccaneers. It's egregious from the Buccaneers' standpoint. So these two will get to play each other. And who knows, this could be Drew Brees' last game of his career. I don't think it's Tom Brady's. But it might be Drew Brees' last game. So this could be the last time we're seeing these two great quarterbacks battle it off. It's going to end to so many of our childhoods. With all these older quarterbacks leaving. This is in the Superdome. Woo! In the Superdome. Good luck to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who didn't look all that impressive against the Washington football team. And the Washington football team, they have a solid secondary and an incredibly good pass rush. Yes. But this is going to be its going to be something for Tom Brady right here. Tom Brady wants to not lose three games in one season to a team, something he's never done before in his career. So this should be interesting. This is a GOAT versus another GOAT and a lot of cool storylines that kind of go into this game. Then we have the last game of the slate. The Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns won this game 48-37. to I don't think it's possible to be down 28 to nothing in the first quarter. It was never possible, at least, prior to this. I shouldn't say possible, but maybe I should say it never happened in playoff history. 28 points in one quarter. The Cleveland Browns just took it to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are somewhat fraudulent. Anybody who listens to... This podcast knows how much I talk about the fraudulence of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this goes back years to me, man. I remember I did a playoff pool. I think I might have brought this up in the podcast, but I'll be redundant. I did a uh, a survivor pool, it was. 
and the Buccaneers led by Mike Glennon were going up to Pittsburgh, and the Buccaneers were so bad. This was like 2012, 2013. And I picked the Steelers. It was like week four or five, something like that. And the Steelers lost. And I was like, what the F is going on here? That's insane. And then every year now, I've just been paying attention to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They always lose when they shouldn't. They always lose the teams that they should not lose to. It's like they play down to their competition. And in this game, the first play of the game, a fumble for a touchdown, a snap that Ben Roethlisberger couldn't handle because it was a terrible snap, and the Cleveland Browns fall on it. The next drive, Ben throws an interception. The Browns punch it in for a touchdown. Three and out for the Steelers. Touchdown for the Browns. Interception for the Steelers. Touchdown for the Browns. Like, what is going on? And then Ben Roethlisberger throws another pick six. And I don't know if Ben Roethlisberger's retiring, but you have to ask the question, was this Ben Roethlisberger's last game? 500 yards passing, 501, 47 of 68, four touchdown passes, four interceptions. They didn't even have time to establish the run in this game. They were down 28 to nothing by the end of the first quarter. Went into halftime 35 to 10. And in the third quarter, they actually made it somewhat interesting, like, oh, could they? This would be the worst loss ever in playoff history if the Browns blow this. But then they can get out of their own way. Still turning the football over. Still making mistakes. Huge play to Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb had four catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Jarvis Landry, 5 for 92 and a touchdown. Austin Hooper, 7 for 46 and a touchdown. Kareem Hunt, 8 for 48 on the ground. Two touchdowns. Nick Chubb, 18 for 76 on the ground. Baker Mayfield, 263 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 21 of 34 without his head coach, who has been remote from the team this entire week and was watching this game in his basement. And the Pittsburgh Steelers allowed the Cleveland Browns to go into their house and punch them in the mouth like this. How do you allow that, Mike Tomlin? How do you allow that, Ben Roethlisberger? How do you allow that, Pittsburgh Steelers Nation? Credit to the Cleveland Browns, though. Started off fast. Did not crumble down the stretch. Seemed like it was getting a little uneasy in the third quarter. Not overly, but it was like, oh, Pittsburgh's starting to mount some drives here. And they're starting to score some points. And what if they just blow? No. That was just squashed by that Nick Chubb receiving touchdown. And then Pittsburgh's offense just getting clamped down by the Browns' defense. And Ben Roethlisberger making throws that make no sense. Throwing it right to Sayon Takitaki. Not accounting for underneath defenders. Like, what's going on there? And obviously, Pittsburgh's passing numbers are inflated. Juju, 19 targets, 13 for 157 and a touchdown. Chase Claypool, 7 targets, 5 for 59 and 2 touchdowns. Deontay Johnson, 16 targets, 11 for 117. James Robinson, 6 targets, 5 for 72. Because they were throwing the ball constantly, as they should have been. Eric Ebron also had a touchdown, 7 for 62. Now the Steelers are sent packing, and the Cleveland Browns get to go and face the Kansas City Chiefs. And that could be a gold game. And they, you know the Browns are going to have, A, their head coach back, and they're going to want to run the football. Obviously, everyone's going to be picking the Chiefs. You got Andy Reid coming off of a bye, and it's the Chiefs against the Browns, a defense that's not all that great. But that's not even relevant right now. What's relevant is the Browns want a playoff game. That hasn't happened in so long. The Bills won a playoff game. That hasn't happened in so long. It's been 26 years 
for the Browns and 25 years for the Bills. Think about that. That's something right there. It's impressive. And we're talking about the seasons, not when the playoff games were actually played. Because they're played in the opposite season. I understand that. That's credit to the Browns, putting it to their division rivals and embarrassing them at home. That leaves such a bad taste in any Pittsburgh Steelers fan's mouth. But this is the Steelers sometimes. They're just frauds. They just have that element to them. And you can't be making those kind of mistakes against good football teams. And the Browns are a pretty good football team. They have an identity. They stick to their identity. Could their defense be better? Yes, their defense could be much better, especially when they have Denzel Ward. But Baker Mayfield, when he's playing mistake-free football and they're running everything off of that excellent run game with that play action, he's very effective. So let's look forward to this divisional round of games. Anyways, I am Nicholas Filato. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Filato on Football here on Big Blue View Radio. Pay attention for next week's episode of Falado on Football. And Falado's Fantasy Corner will be going over the divisional rounds, the DFS plays for DraftKings for the divisional rounds. Try to win you some money. Take care, everybody.